Hallelujah. It's so good to be able on a Sunday morning on the way from Plant City. We saw people go in their yard. We saw people pulling boats, obviously going fishing. And there's nothing wrong with mowing your yard and going fishing. Amen. But I'm so glad I know the Lord. I'm so glad I want to be in his house this morning. I'm so glad it's not a sacrifice to bring the sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord. People used to misinterpret that because they thought, you know, I really don't feel good. Life is really bad. Amen. A lot of sheep have that attitude. How are you today? It's really bad. It's going to be bad. It's going to get worse. Evil men and seducers will get worse and worse even as that day approaches. We're living in the perilous time. We have been forewarned in this world. How many still living in this world? You haven't moved to another planet and you just came down today to worship with us. Amen. And then you'll you have Scotty beam you back up after the service. Amen. No, no. In this world, you will have phelpsis, tribulation, anguish, and pressure, and trouble. But be of good cheer. Boy, do we need that message today. Cheer up, church. I've overcome the world. One translation said, I've robbed it of power to harm you. Praise God. There is victory in Jesus today in this fallen world, in these last days, and in these perilous times that we are living in. God is so good today. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Amen. So how many came again to worship Him? And we have began to worship Him. How many desire to worship Him? Hallelujah. You see, that's what thins out the crowd always is desire. We're always thinned by people who have a desire for something and they're willing to commit because of they have a desire for Him. Amen. But when there's no desire, then any little thing will cause people to not want to assemble together and worship God. If you lose your desire for your mate, you're going to find a reason to leave them. The divorce rate among Christians, marriages used to be sacred. The vows used to be sacred. The Bible used to be a sacred book. Amen. The music used to be called sacred music, not just pop Christian entertainment. And it always led to purity in worship. But when you get a polluted worship, you just get a rock concert thinly described as a Christian worship service for young people. You know what young Christians need today? They need a devotion to Jesus so they can deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow Him. Can you say, man, they need the same devotion adults need. We don't need a watered-down version of the gospel for young Christians. I think that's why there's so few of them following him, even raised in churches, because they're not asked to make that kind of devoted commitment. Our children don't see parents committed to God's house and God's word and God's worship. Everything takes priority over that. Consequently, we have children growing up, not Christian children, not near as devoted to Christ as Muslims are to Islam. And that's a reality that's happening and are sad. And I don't want to talk about all sad things today. I just want to commend you for being here this morning. That you haven't lost your desire to worship the Lord. And to be with His people. You know, the Bible said the hand doesn't say to the foot, I don't need you. One of the stark realities in the Christian community today, there's a lot of hands saying to the feet, I don't need you. 
I'll just do my thing and you can do your thing and I don't care. And boom, it's all that love stuff. All that love stuff. Amen. The reality is, in many cases, it's not existent. It's a sham. That's why the Bible, and it's a shame too. That's why the Bible spoke of the unfeigned love of the brethren. That meant there's a put-on love that has no element of devotion or commitment to one another. And transitions like this is going to bring all that out. And so that's what makes it a little bit tough is because you have to face certain realities. When there's no desire for the Word, there's no Christian growth. Desire. Say with me, desire. 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 Say it again. It's in the Scripture. Desire. One thing have I desired. What happens when you desire something with a passionate desire? Amen. One thing I've desired, that will I seek after. Amen. And his desire in the book of Psalms was to inquire at God's temple and behold his beauty. He wanted to be in proximity to the presence of God. And as close as he could get was the temple. Amen. In the holy city, because that's where the earthly manifestation of the presence of God was. But in the new covenant, oh, when we come together in Christ's name, it's not behind the veil where he couldn't go. But we can go behind the veil spiritually and worship God if you have desire for his presence. If you want a cut and dried, well uh, managed search service, they're all over town. You can get in. You can have a high-impact, well-timed service, and you go out the door, and you got the rest of the day to play. And there's nothing wrong with playing and having fun. But when playing takes the place of praying, and when a put-on love has no commitment within it, then the church of Jesus Christ is in trouble because we need each other, and we need each other very desperately. Amen. So I'm glad you're here today because I need you guys to pray for me. How many need me to pray for you? Praise God. Well, I'm not going to quit. Hallelujah. <laughs> Praise the Lord. This is my desire to behold thy beauty because I'm going to inquire, oh, my Lord, at your temple today. This is my heart's desire is to worship you in spirit and in truth. If God could have His way in us, isn't it easy to sing those songs without thinking about what it truly means to let Jesus be the Lord of all in our life? Hallelujah. And we sing them usually quickly and we run through them. We don't ponder them. We don't think about it. But whoever wrote that song was writing about really, really, really wanting God to have His way. Amen. Do you think there might be more joy in the camp if God had His way? Do you think, really, you could be a more joyful believer if God actually... Do you think you might have more peace if God had His way? Hallelujah. Wouldn't it be wonderful? Everybody say, if God had His way in me. Do you believe there would be a mighty move of the Holy Spirit 
if God has his way in us. Hallelujah. Praise God. Amen. Do you believe we might see a Holy Ghost revival? Instead of lamenting the fact that there's so much deadness in the church of Jesus Christ today. Amen. You think God might revive me and you? Instead of waiting to see if He can revive anybody else. Do you think if somebody saw us revived, it might inspire them to say, you know, there's more to church than sitting on the premises we need to be standing on the promises. Can you say amen? Sitting in church won't make you a dedicated Christian, and we're glad you're here. Don't get me wrong. But sitting in church won't make you a devoted follower of Jesus any more than sitting in the garage will make you a Buick. Amen? It doesn't come that way. But if you're challenged in church to let the Lord have His way, and you yield to the Lord, hallelujah, God's got a blessing for you today. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. How many will sing one more song? you got enough energy left for one more song. You think we might make it through one more song today? You think it's possible? Amen. You know, if without the joy of the Lord, you ain't got no strength. Pardon my vernacular and my grammar. And without the joy of the Lord, I don't have any strength either. If the joy is of the Lord isn't your strength, I'm going to tell you something about your strength. It's waning right now. You're getting weak spiritually. And you're getting weak emotionally. And eventually, with no correction to that, we're all going to get weak spiritually. And when we get weak spiritually, we're going to get vulnerable to the, all of the devices of the enemy to discourage and defraud us from all that we have in Jesus Christ. I don't want that to happen to me. And the only way I can keep it from happening is limit my communications with people. Because there's so much negativism. And I'm talking about Christians. I'm not just talking about the world. I don't expect anything from the world. I used to have some expectations of Christians. You know what I mean? I said used to. But right now I'm learning. Amen. I can't depend on anyone but God to encourage me like I need to be encouraged. At Ziklag, they spoke of stoning David. His own army turned against him because while he led them out, the enemy came in and stole everything they had, and the most precious wasn't their gold and silver and camels and sheep. The most precious thing was their sons and daughters, their wives and their mothers and daddies. They took them and enslaved them. And so the enemy turned on their leader, David, and they said, let's kill him. They were murmuring about killing their leader. And the Bible, so there was no encouragement. None. And the Bible said, and David broke down, gave up, gave in, let the devil have the day. No. The Bible said, David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. <laughs> Sometimes you've you got to take a little walk and have a little talk with yourself. Amen. David learned the key, didn't he? So, why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God, for he shall yet be the health of thy countenance. Hallelujah. Praise God. Amen. So you can live in defeat and depression, or you can encourage yourself in the Lord. How did he do it? Prayerfully. Initially. Prayerfully. 
Everybody say prayerfully. Greatest weapon in the Christian arsenal, the most underused. We want to talk about the sword. We want to talk about the helmet, the breastplate, the shield of faith. Honey, all of this, Penelope, this, this, all of this armor that's called God's spiritual armor is used in one arena of battle. After Paul enumerates the armor, he says, praying for me and for all saints with all manner of prayer and supplication. Amen. It's so that we can pray effectively. If you've got an effective prayer life, you can get through your tunnel of dark time. You can get through your storm if you have an effective prayer life. You can overcome the enemy. David said, bring me hither the ephod. And the ephod was the garment that the priest put on when he went in to intercede for Israel. He said, I'm going to do more than do a kingly thing, a military thing. I know where the real battlefield is. It's in the spirit realm. And, and I, I don't know which way to go, and I don't know what to do, but I serve a God who knows everything. So I'm going to pray to that God. And he prayed and shall, said, I don't know where they went. Shall I pursue them, not knowing where they're gone? After the fact, look like it's too late. Shall I pursue them? And you know what God told him as he interceded? You know what God told him? He said, pursue. Go get what the devil took. Because thou shalt without fail recover all. Isn't that a good message? He told him there's no way that you can fail to recover everything that God has promised was yours, even if the devil came and took it without God's permission, you can get it back. But you've got to pursue him to do it. And so he told his army, we're going to get it all back. Everybody say, all back. Wouldn't it be great, not only if God had his way in us, but if we got back everything we've been defrauded of by the enemy and by our weak flesh? Amen. How many have had a... I don't want to ask you if you've had a bad week. I just want to ask you... Have you ever had a bad week? Oh, I'm so tempted to ask you, was it this week? <laughs> it's just right there on the tip of my tongue. Was it this week? Was it this? Was this the one that rates up? The, listen, you can get it all back. You can get your joy back. You can have your peace back. You can have a life in God that is vibrant. You can get it back. Some of it won't even make eye contact with me. You, oh, come on. I'm not getting on to you. I'm telling you, you can have it back. If you want it back. How many would like to have it back? I'm not even looking, so you won't be more uncomfortable than you are this morning. Why don't we have it? Jesus said, be of good cheer. Jesus has a message for you today before I preach. Cheer up. You reckon? People are already squirming. I must be preaching. Jesus has a message in this world. It's a promise. You're going to have trouble. Don't be blown away. Don't let it get you down. Cast thy burden upon the Lord and He will sustain thee. He will never suffer the righteous to be moved. Hallelujah. Amen. Cast your burden. What is it? 
What is it? Cast your burden upon the Lord and He will sustain you. But you've got to give it to Him and you've got to trust Him with it. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not to your own understanding. Commit thy way unto Him. Trust also in Him and He will bring it to pass. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. Let me ask you, is He trustworthy? Is He worthy of your trust? Do you believe He's that faithful? Do you believe He's that powerful? Do you believe He's that committed to you? Those are the elements of trust. My wife trusts me to not run off with the song leader. Does that make you feel any better at all today? Well, we got the music minister. How about that? And uh, if... if, uh, if uh, if Sherry was here, I'm not going to run off with the secretary. Doug said, you better not. <laughs> Amen. It's trust. we got a 55-year marriage built on trust. Because I believe in her love for me. She believes in my love for her. Not just my love for God and my fear of God, but my trust. She's earned my trust. I've earned her trust. It's sacred. I don't want to betray that trust hallelujah but god has earned my trust when jesus hung on the cross it's nothing he did yesterday or nothing he did two years ago that made me trust him what made me trust him is this scripture that paul gives to us he said if he loved us enough to give us his only begotten son did he amen then he shouldn't have to earn your trust because jesus came Died on the cross in your place and mine. That should be that should begin to bring us into a trust in His loving watch care over our life. First Peter five seven, casting all of your care, the whole of your anxiety, once and for all on Him, for He cares for you and watches over you affectionately. You're the apple of His eye. When I first saw apple of His eye, I thought of a you know, the most pretty, pretty, you know, I thought of myself as a beautiful, ripe, red Macintosh. I know Brother Hobb getting hungry. Hang on just a little while. He, he already thinking about ambrosia. <laughs> hey, man. Till last night, you made it almost to Sunday. Okay, anyway, God is good today. But you know what the apple of, it, of the eye is? It's the little man. It's the pupil. It's the pupil. He said he will take care of you like the apple of his eye. It, it, it's, it's a reflex of love. Amen. If, you, if, 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 if you're walking through the woods and you walk up on a limb and it's about to hit you in the eye, what's the first thing you do? You guard yourself. If someone throws a ball that's about to hit you in the eye, what do you do? You guard. It's reflex. You don't have to twist God's arm. He loves you. And the reflex of love is to protect you and provide for you. If He loved us enough to give us His own... Did He love us that much to give us His only begotten Son? How will He not? How will He not? How will He not? 
also with him give us all things. If you being evil, Jesus taught, I am preaching now. We'll receive the offering in a minute and have another song. Amen. But I can't back off and start another sermon. Can you say amen? This is what is needed here today. One thing I have found out about the Holy Spirit, if you want him to help you preach, you got to preach his message. Not the one you prepared or you think is appropriate, because he knows my need today. And He knows your need today. And our great need today is to trust the Lord with all of our heart and quit leaning to our own, to our head, our own understanding. We need to commit our way. Hallelujah unto the Lord. Listen, everybody's asking me where we're going to go. I don't know when we're going to go. I have no idea. That is God's department. If I start wringing my hands instead of raising my... Hey, I'm glad to be right where I am with you right here today. I believe I'm in the divine will of God. And I believe you are too. Hallelujah. And when all the shaking and sifting's done, I believe we're going to have a core of committed people who have a desire for the sincere... Say desire again. For the sincere milk of the Word that you may what? Be, be the same. Be in the same spiritual spot. Know that you may grow thereby. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. That you may grow not being children tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. But that we might grow up into Him who is the head. Even the fullness of the measure of the stature of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Amen. Without spiritual growth, there can never be revival. Because people get to a plateau spiritually. I don't need to seek God anymore. I don't need. I've seen shipwrecked lives. I've seen battles lost among people that had a word for everybody else, but had no desire to get the word for themselves. They spent most of their time and energy seeking a word for you and me. And I'm the pastor, and, but they think I need their input. God is going to show somebody else what I'm supposed to do. Then I'm stepping down. And somebody ought to step up when I do. Come on, if you're in that position, <laughs> amen, step up. Open a storefront. Tell everybody what God told you to tell them and see how it works out for you if you're not called. But if you're not called to be the pastor, then you're called to learn something. To listen. To take it to heart. We desire the sincere milk of the Word that you may... Somebody said, I don't need milk. Somebody said the other day, I watched this on TV and I watched that on TV and I thought, what a childish thing to say. How can the body minister to one another while you sit in front of a TV? Are you going to go over and pray for that television because it's down? Are you going to go hug it because it needs encouragement? No, that's a cold, indifferent, childish, I'm going to say it, stupid thing to say. That's stupid. I don't need the body of Christ. I don't need a pastoral covering. I got my television. 
And there's a guy on there giving me everything I need spiritually. Well, you know something? The problem is he's giving you some good word, but you're not giving anybody you. Nobody has you. When do you bear somebody else's burden when you're not even there with them? When do you pray for one another when you don't even care about each other? When do you lift up the hands that hang down? And by the way, and strengthen the feeble need lest it be turned out of the way. When you divorce yourself from the body, something has soured in your spirit man. Because it's all about you, darling. It's not about anybody else in the whole wide church, world, Christian community, or kingdom of God. I get everything I need, and that's all I want. But the problem is, when you need someone to help you bear your burden, and when you need someone to encourage you, lest you be turned out of the way, that man on television is not coming to your house. When you're in the hospital, that man on television is not coming to the hospital. I remember going to the hospital with our dear sister before she went to be with the Lord and putting on all this paraphernalia to make sure there was no infection. And I remember praying with your mama and standing there with her and holding her hand. And I remember the peace that I felt and the peace that she felt. And I remember the presence of God with us in that room. And it was a precious Psalm 116, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His saints. When that time comes, to our perspective, it's a terrible thing. But from God's perspective, it's a precious thing. Because He's receiving into His presence eternally that soul that He has saved through His sacrificial death, substitutionary death on the cross. God needs our trust today. Is it Psalm 37? Anyway, somewhere in that neighborhood. Amen. Psalm 37, trust in the Lord with all your heart, with all of your heart, with all of your heart, and lean not to what? What gets in the way of trusting God every single time? Your own understanding. Commit the trust in the Lord, commit thy way unto Him, and He will do what? Bring it to pass. What? What you think is supposed to happen when it's supposed to happen? No. Everything, when I'm under duress and I'm under pressure, I want it, I don't want it, I want it yesterday. I want it right here, right now. I don't like that feeling, but I can't have it my way. God doesn't operate like Burger King. Did you know you could starve to death if you decided you're not going to eat anything? And they'd let you have it your way because it costs them less. Hold the pickle, hold the lettuce. All we want you to do is let us make it your way. What if you hold the meat? What if you eat the pickle and the lettuce? And you hold the bread and hold the meat. You know what's going to happen? You're going to become malnourished. You're going to become weak. You're going to become anemic. And if you don't start eating some bread or meat or both together, you're going to die. Amen? But you can have it your way at Burger King. But you can't have it your way with God. Everybody say, follow them.
who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Follow the pattern of those who through faith and patience. The word patience there. There's two words for patience in the New Testament. And one of them is the kind of patience we think of initially. And that's take a number. Take a number, sit down, and be patient. If you go to the emergency room, you better. That kind of patience is the kind that you need. Because if you're not, well, I don't even know. You have to be in bad shape before they will move you to the front of the line. I've seen people throwing up in buckets. I've seen, I took my dad to the emergency room because his, his, uh, his, his urinary tract quit allowing the urine to flow. It backed up inside of him and began to cause pain. They took him in an ambulance, and I was in there with him, and he's, saying, and he's crying. He's crying. He's crying out. And, and they're, you know, they're so used to it and so detached from it to do their job. There's, on their part, there's no emergency. And he was crying out. And I said, I said, if you can't let him see a doctor, then can you give him something for the pain? At least something to relieve his suffering until he can see a doctor. It wasn't because I was impatient. It's because I was mad. You love one hurting and they don't seem to care or do anything about it. You, you get angry. I didn't sin. I didn't slap anybody. Wanted to. Didn't. Oh, don't look at me so sanctimonious. You've wanted to before. Come on. Be angry and sin not. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. And don't let your anger lead you to sin. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Everybody say, oh, what a relief it is. If I couldn't get relief by committing my way unto the Lord, I would be sick with worry. I would be sick with the pressures and the problems of life. I have to give it to God. And people scratch their head. Well, what are we going to do? I call it chicken littles. There's so many chicken littles among the body of Christ. What happened? An acorn fell out of a tree and hit chicken little on the head. And the little chicken, listen, God don't want His people to be little chickens. He wants us to be bold in our faith. He wants us to grow up in God. And what did, what did she say, chicken little? The sky is falling. Oh, Lord, the sky is falling. I remember one morning, we, 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 we were scheduled to meet at a hotel, meeting room. They rented it out. The morning we were supposed to meet, they lost track of us, and they just rented it to somebody else. We got there and couldn't go in it, and I got a panic-stricken phone call. We can't get in. They've given it to somebody else. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? Now, I can get caught up in that and say, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Or I can say, Lord... Come on, get in this thing with me today. Or I can say, Lord, these, these are occurrences. These things happen. 
This is not the devil per se. He'll do anything he can. This don't have to be the devil. This is life. Life in a fallen world. Everything don't work right. And I said, well, isn't there anywhere else we could meet? And picked up the phone. I don't know who did it. Somebody, my wife or somebody picked up a phone and called a motel in the area. And they said, come on down. We got a little meeting room. And boy, they wasn't kidding. It was little. But it was plenty for us. That's it. It was little, but it was plenty for us. Because for the first time, except when we were at the Holy Church of God in Holy Ghost Revival, we had wall-to-wall people and there wasn't no seats left. And it felt pretty good to get out there and say, look at here, look at here. Uh, we don't need a bigger church. All we need is a littler room. We fill it up. And you know what? God met with us. And the Spirit of God was there to worship Him. And the Spirit of God was there to anoint the preaching and teaching of the Word of God. And we had church in spite of the setback and the chaos. And Chicken Little was still, oh, We're just going to go with the flow and trust God with it. God is still on the throne and God is still in control. And what a relief it is to give it to God. Can you say, man, if the devil can panic you, you know what lions do? And let Let me give you a strategy of the devil today. As long as you are not panic stricken, going to save yourself, take care of things yourself, Go your, your way. Make things happen yourself. You know the reason we're here today and we're not in a hurry? is because I told the man who's allowing us to be here and the board and the people. They're allowing us to be here. And I told him, I said, we'll get out of your hair as soon as we can. And he started crying. He started crying. For all those that are uncommitted and don't care what happens to this ministry, there are people that's not even part of it that do care. And all the people that don't care about you or me, there are people that don't know either one of us that care about us and what happens to us. And they have confidence in this ministry. In fact, he thought I was, he asked me to come and speak at his Bible college where he goes to Bible because he thought I had a doctor's degree in theology. Yeah, devil destroyer. Amen. He said, I'm so afraid that you'll just grab the first thing you see and not wait for God to show you what he wants. So he said, let's leave this open-ended. Now, we want in our own place as quick as we can. But if I get impatient and I let anything push me into grabbing this just so we can say we got something and it's not God then we can't go forward has to be God and you know something if people wanted to meet together this isn't too far closer than Disney World nobody has a problem I couldn't go to Disney World I got a free pass but you realize how much gas it's going to take to get to Disney World do you know if they got a free pass and they're, they're off? They're headed for Disney World. Hello? This isn't that far. And it's a nice place. Everything in here is conducive to worship. It's not like a secular place we're using. Oh, I like it, but I don't want to stay here. But he wept. 
And he says, don't be in a hurry. We're so happy to share our church with another ministry. And I thought, oh, Lord, please hug him for me. Bless him for me. Bless him. And, and guess what? Pentecostal brethren, not a word. I'm not being mean. I'm being honest. Not one offer of nothing. It ain't nothing to them. But a Baptist brother that don't speak in tongues. But loves the brethren. And did you know what happened to tongues without the love for the brethren? Sounding brass. Tinkling cymbal. All of that false representation of spirituality is a false representation of spirituality. So we better redefine spiritual. Being spiritual is being more like Jesus. It's not being self-serving and selfish and self-exalting. It's being more giving and not more selfish. Oh, I want to be where God wants us to be next week. But if we're not, we'll be right here where God has opened the door. And not only has He opened the door, He's shown me something, that the kingdom of God is bigger than everyone's narrow, denominational points of view. It's bigger than the Pentecostal movement. It's bigger than the Southern Baptist Convention. Amen. It's God's kingdom. And we're His kids. And 341 times in the New Testament. Just in the New Testament. How many know if God repeats something by the Holy Spirit? 341 times in some form or another from the same root word. He's trying to get a message across to you and me. He has something to say to us. You know what the word is that's used? Brethren. Brother, brethren, 341 times the root word for brother or brethren is used in the New Testament. What marked the New Testament church? Because they saw themselves as family. They loved one another when they didn't even know one another. And Tertullian, a historian who wrote of this wonderful New faith coming on the scene like they hadn't seen before. This Christian faith. It said when they meet one another, they greet one another even if they've never met before as personal family or long-time friends. I was in Haiti. I didn't know French Creole. I wasn't there with the missionary this time. I was there by myself taking care of a mission situation. I was trying to get from the place I was staying to, to the mission home that we were supporting. It's about five miles back into the bush from Port-au-Prince. I was praying, walking down the road, tap-taps would come by. You know what a tap-tap is? It is a truck with a, with a kind of a, well, it's just an open truck kind of like a, a small version of a flatbed. People are holding on to rails they had put on it. And you hail it when it goes by. And when you want off, because there's no truck stops, bus stops, you tap on the top 
tap tap. So they call them tap taps. Every tap tap that went by was wall to wall people. I couldn't have squeezed in if they had stopped for me. And I'm thinking, it is hot, it is humid. I, I, I'm walking in the right direction. And all of the sudden, one of those four wheel open Jeeps came down the road. I mean, the, you know, the nice Jeep, the re- brand new Jeep. It wasn't the SUV, it was the open Jeep came down the road. But it was the nice one, like the renegade, one of those nice Jeeps. And I, didn't, I just looked at it because I thought, that's a nice looking Jeep right there. Amen. And he pulled right over. And a guy from Canada, missionary from Canada, that was, had, to, had, had bought that Jeep for the mission work, he was headed somewhere. He said, excuse me, do you need a ride? And I thought, oh, thank you, Jesus. Yes, I do. Amen. He said, where are you going? I said, well, I'm going so-and-so. He said, well, I'm going over this way, but you know what? I'll take you over there first, and then I'll go to my destination. And I thought, oh, the kingdom's big. You know, the kingdom of God. God got people everywhere. I didn't need no tap-tap. Amen. God had, God had a taxi coming my way, and I didn't have to pay for it. Can you say amen? And I thought, Lord, thank you. Thank you so much. Amen. I rode in a nice brand new Jeep. And I forget there was another missionary coming back that had stopped at the mission home, and they brought me back. And I rode in style. I didn't have to cram myself in and say, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? He knows. He knows. He knows. He knows. Before you even ask, he said, I will answer. God's that anxious? How? What in the world? God is that anxious? God cares that much? It'll come to pass before you pray. I'll be expediting the answer because I know that you're going to pray. And I know you're going to pray in faith. So before you even ask, I'm going to expedite the answer. Oh, it's going to come that quick? I didn't say it would come quick. I said he's going to expedite the answer. Hebrews 10, 32, after you were illuminated, you suffered a great fight of afflictions. Everybody say, tell me about it. After God opened your blind eyes and saved your soul, and after you saw the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus, and you saw your lost condition, and you saw the Savior He's provided, and you accepted Him. After that occurred... You endured a great fight of afflictions. And here's the deal. It says, and it wasn't just you that it happened to, but your brethren also. Everybody that follows Jesus, everybody that comes to Jesus, everybody is going to suffer persecution. Everybody is going to have the same kind of pressures that the world has, but we're supposed to give that to God when it comes. We're supposed to cast our care on the Lord, not shoot up or drink up or toke up or smoke up. We're supposed to have something called the peace of God. And I'm not just talking about hardcore illegal drug addicts. I'm talking about all the things that we look to and lean on other than God for what only He can truly give us. We kingdom people need to get back to kingdom joy. We kingdom people need to get back to kingdom peace. 
We kingdom people need to get back to standing in our standing as the righteous, blood-bought sons of the living God. Hallelujah. We need to get back to a trust in Him that we can take the burden that weighs us down and threatens to break us and give that to God. And trust Him with it. Remember the song, Leave It There? Leave it there. Leave it there. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. If you trust and never doubt, He will surely bring you out. So take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. You know what Jesus taught? Whatsoever thing desire. I'm going to go back to that for a moment. Whatsoever things you desire. When you pray. The problem is we're not believing when we pray. We're trying to hold on after we pray. Instead of release our faith when we pray. You know why you should believe? Did, did he say that? Did Jesus say, when you pray, whatsoever things you desire, when you pray, believe that you have it. How can that be? Well, God has a will. And if you're surrendered to his will, you will find yourself delighting yourself in the Lord. In fact, you will not be surrendered to His will unless you are delighted in the Lord. But if you're delighted in the Lord, you want what He wills more than you want what you think or you want. That's why you're able to pray the pattern prayer. Thy kingdom come in me and over my life. Thy will be done. I think if I had that job and I got that promotion, look how much more I could do for God. But God wants you to be a witness over here. I went from pastoring for all of those years full time and God meeting every need to going to a production plant. I didn't know if I was going to make it through the first night. When they put you, my dad told me he was so worried about me because I was 50 years old. They wasn't going to hire me. They had my... I prayed about it, put in my application. And a man that I married 30 years before that, I had performed the wedding for him and his wife. He worked there. And he said, did, did you hear anything from him yet? And I said, I hadn't heard a word. He went to the front office, went to the lady in charge of personnel. He said, how about Robert Venable's dad? He's... He's a good, he, he's, he, he'd make a good worker here. He, 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 he could handle it. And she said, he's 50 years old. Looking back on it now, I thought, hey, I'll take 50. Okay, amen. Could we go back to 50? Woo, 50? Are you kidding me? Come on, Hobbs. Amen. We'd run, we'd run around this building a few laps. She's 50 years old. <laughs> and that guy spoke up for me and said, Listen, have you seen him? Have you seen him? At that time, at, that was then, this is now, but at that time, I was still going to the gym. I was bench, I like to say this because I worked so hard to get it. Pardon my vanity. 
I've said it before. I'm going to keep saying it. Oh, Lord, deliver. He resists the proud. I won't, I won't be proud long. I'm, I'm sure something's going to slap me right back down. Amen. Isn't that right, Hobbs? Something will slap me down. Somebody will put me in my place. But physically speaking, for my size, I was 153 pounds. And I was benching 315 pounds. They say you're in real good shape at 50. At 50. At 50. Oh, I remember when I quit doing that. I was at the powerhouse gym in Plant City, Florida. And I remember getting ready to work out, me and some other old guy. We were getting ready back there. And and I remember, you know, and (laughs) I pulled out. First, I took two aspirin. You know, because I know if I get the aspirin in there, then when I start going heavy. And then since my elbow was was swelling up, like tennis elbow, from the pressure of the weight. But I didn't want to give up the weight. You know, so I wrapped my elbow with a wrap. And my wrists were getting weak because when you get over 300 pounds, your wrists really, at 50, they're not like they used to be. And I wrapped up both of my wrists and I was doing squats. Usually I hear something. Did y'all hear anything? <laughs> snap, snap, crackle, and pop used to be my breakfast cereal. But now when I do this, snap, crackle, and pop. So I wrapped up my knee with a wrap. So you got to picture me. I'm starting to look like that mummy, you know, in that old Bella Lugosi movie. Oh, and then to top it off, since I already had pain from the former workout, I put on Ben Gay. That doesn't mean I was delivered from something. It just means, you know, you know what? It, it stinks. You can smell you a mile off. And, and I come walking out of there all wrapped up, smelling like Ben Gay with aspirins in my system, thinking, what is wrong with you? What is wrong with you? You don't need to keep doing this. You've you got to stop this. And then to top it off, remember the power team that went around blowing up hot water bottles until they burst? They were Christian uh, w- power lifters. And they, did, they tore phone books in half. They came in the gym to work out, laid it on the gym. She said, come here, come here. I want to get your picture with the power team. And, and you've got to understand, these guys were humongous. Their arms were big as my thighs. It was incredible. They put me beside of them and snapped that picture. And I thought, Lord, Lord, I, I could work. And, yeah, first thing was I was that, that much shorter. Second thing was I was... I wasn't 350 pounds. I was 153 pounds. Third thing was, I didn't have arms big as my legs. And I looked so puny. After all of that hard work, (laughs) standing there with those power guys. And I thought, boy, Lord, you know how to keep me humble. There's no need for this. But the need, see, everything works together. In the fabric of what God is willing for your life. 
And, and I, they called me in for an interview. And when I went in, I want you to know, I had no tummy. I had, I still was cut. You know what cut means? That means you can see the tricep. You can see the bicep. You can see because I was still working out. And when they saw me, when she saw me, she forgot about the 50 thing. He can handle it. He can handle it. She said, the only thing, you're going to have to shave that beard. And that almost killed it. Because guess what? When I grew the beard, there was a young face under it. I hate to tell you, Hobbs, if you take that off, you ain't going to see the guy that it grew on. When I shaved my beard, <laughs> I saw wrinkles where the, you know, when I was young, I used to sing the song, When My Pimples Turn to Dimples. It's going to be a great day. And I came in, and I felt naked <laughs> without my beard. I really did. I came in. <laughs> and and the lady of charge of personnel and said, Now see, now see, that wasn't so bad. You got dimples. There was dimples under there. And then they give me the beard muff. I thought, well, I, you know, people can now see my dimples and, and my and and then they put the beard muff on me. And I'm gonna tell you if you that, that your game is over. That's a game killer. When you put that big beard muff over this much of your face and put a hairnet on, you look goofy. Remember Disney World years ago when they took you from the tram from the parking lot to get on the other thing to go over in there? And they wanted you to remember where you were instead of A, B, C, or 1, 2, 3. They had Minnie, Mickey, Donald. I remember being on that tram coming out of there and and they pulled up to one parking area and said many people off here then they pulled up the next one and they said mickey people get off here then they pulled up the next one and said and goofy people get off here <laughs> and there's a whole lot of people parked in the goofy area <laughs> but they kept looking down as they got off <laughs> I did some goofy things, but you know what? God was in it. And I shared the gospel of Jesus Christ, and I discipled and mentored some young men on that. I would come into the break room, and you were not allowed to eat out of the break room, obviously. But I did. I broke a rule, but I did it without contaminating anyone or anything. But I put my peanut butter sandwich in my pocket. Because two people would meet me at the door of the break room with 25, 30 people in the break room. And they'd come running with their little New Testament that I couldn't hardly see. Remember the pocket New Testaments? They'd come running, two, two young men. And they'd come running and say, Rev, Rev, we've been, we've been discussing this scripture. Can you break it down to us? Can you break it down to us? And I'm going to tell you when people are hungry for God's Word, you don't have to be in a church house. Anywhere you are where there is spiritual hunger, blessed are they which hunger and thirst desire. Can you say, man, after righteousness, for they shall what? They shall be filled. Why? Because the Holy Spirit becomes extremely active when people are hungry like that. And I would spend the whole 30-minute break First thing I would do is make coffee for everybody because it let it let it run out and those those 
anyway. I made coffee for everybody. And then I'd go try to eat, and these guys are there with the Scripture. And then people started asking questions. And they'd say, I read in the paper today, doesn't the Bible say something about when the end time? And, and they're just in, And I thought, Lord, look what you're doing. Christians are sitting nonchalant in churches this morning, acting like they're not even aware that Jesus' coming is at the doors. That the time to work for God, the window of opportunity, is closing. We must work while it is day, for the night is hastening, when no man... No man is going to be able to do the work that we can do and we must do while we have the window of opportunity to get it done. But lethargic, mediocre Christians that are so involved in this world that God's kingdom and the lost people and the need today, amen, is transcended by our personal, God, heal me so I can go about my business Forget about your business. Lord, give me money so I can get this because I need that to be fulfilled. Lord, this, Lord, that, Lord, this, Lord, that. He's not Lord at all when it's all about me. Went out to the trash dumpster after I'd been there for a while and after sharing the Word of God. Back in the break room, I met a guy in a store the other day. He come up to me. They closed out that part of the business and laid a bunch of people off. I left long before that. Take care of my daddy. He ran up to me. He grabbed me, a young black man. He grabbed me and he hugged my neck. And he said, Rev! He said, listen, I work at Publix now. And he said, I tell them all the time how you used to help us to understand the Scriptures, how that on your break you shared the Word of God with us. And he said, Rev, I want you to know I've grown, and I'll never forget it. I said, thank you. I'll never forget it either because people wonder, why is he doing that? Because people quit coming. People quit giving. People lost any kind of devotion or commitment. They wanted to get in the healing line. They wanted to get a prophecy from God. But they did not want to support the man of God or the work of God. And they cared nothing about interacting with the people of God. It was a sham. Church full. Without commitment. Without devotion. Without true spiritual hunger for the Word of God. And when you have that, I call them pastor killers. People stay children. They never grow up. You'll never please them no matter what you do. You'll never be everything to them because only God can. And I'm not here to take His place. I'm here to tell you how to trust Him. To tell you, to have, tell you how to have a real personal relationship with Him. This is not about religion. This is about relationship and fellowship. For truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Woo! It takes a load off the preacher. Because God and you have something going on. And I found that in the Pentecostal circuit where people would rather get a touch here and there, they never get grounded in their faith. And they are like butterflies flitting from flower to flower. This church, that church, nobody 
gets much from them. In fact, I have people stay with us longer than most pastors have anyone stay with them. But you can't say, I can count on that. I can count on every time a shaking comes. Everything. And we're in the shaking of the last days. Everything can be shaken, is being shaken, so that something positive and pure might emerge, so that that which cannot be shaken might remain. Remember, they they thought they had a revival, and then a bunch of people took a bunch of people and took off somewhere. And the Bible said if they were of us, they were not of us, because if they were of us, they wouldn't have left us. But they were not of us to begin with. They were in there with us, but they were not of us. Tears among the wheat. And it looks good. And a day is coming when the angels of the Lord are going to separate the tares from the wheat. But we're in the last day falling away, shaking. And everything, and I'm not just talking about shaking from fellowship of a church. I'm talking about shaking of a real relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the tragedy. As long as someone goes from one church and really digs in and devotes at another, but you see, the dig in and devote is not in the vocabulary spiritually. There's no dig in. There's no devote. I remember we left our church. We didn't know about. We were. We, we, nobody modeled devotion to us. We got devoted to our church and our pastor because we loved him and he fed us spiritually. Amen? So, <laughs> one Sunday, some, somebody, somebody interpreting dreams or prophesying over everybody come to town, and we decided, well, you know, some, and some church person that should have been a model for us called us up and said, Come on, go with us over here. God's really moving in that, that ministry there. And, and we're young Christians, and we don't know that Pentecostals can be flaky yet. Amen? So we let them lure us away from our Sunday morning service, and we showed up over at the church where people were getting their liver shivered, amen, and getting their ears tickled. And when we got there, we saw a whole bunch of people from the church. We thought, well, and then they felt a little guilty because we're brand new Christians. And I remember coming up to my wife and I say, I got to go where I get my soul fed. I thought if the man is preaching the word of God and you are a Christian, your soul ought to be fed. Desire what? Somebody to interpret your dream and then you try to figure out whether it was that big old enchilada with hot sauce on it or whether it was God. No, no. What did he say in his word? Heaven and earth is going to pass away and all those liver shivers and emotions are going to give away. But the word of God is going to abide forever. Hallelujah. Don't ever despair when you're in the dark. Hang on to what God has shown you in the light. And it doesn't matter how dark it gets, what you know to be true is going to still be true. Hallelujah. But if people never grow up, 
And guess what? Our church grew. And then... Fragmented and fell apart. Because this person here started the church over there, and this person here started going over there, and they took their friends with them because they really wanted to be with their friends. And we had to grow up in God because we didn't have mature Christianity modeled to us. When people don't grow up, they stay spiritual children. And children be no more children tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. But grow up into Him who is the head, even to the fullness of the measure of the stature of Jesus, whom He did foreknow, He did predestine to be conformed to the image of His Son. Hallelujah. And the only thing, things will work together for good. You've got to love Him enough and be devoted to Him enough. You can't just claim that and say it's going to happen because it says it. It says to them that love, them that love, them that love, if a man love me, he will keep my commandments and they will not be grievous unto him. He won't look like he's been sucking a persimmon at church. If he loves me. If he loves me, he'll deny himself for my sake. He'll take up his cross. He'll really follow me if he loves me. If he loves me, he'll understand that I love him back. And that whatever he's going through is working together for a divine purpose. And he wants that purpose more than he wants his way. can we claim that if we don't really love the Lord? I'm not talking about singing the little song and having a sentimental feeling. This is a deep, committed love for God. Thou shalt love thy God. With how much? What's left over after loving yourself and loving the world? No, no. God don't want your leftovers. Everybody must not give him nothing if you're not going to give him everything. At least you'll know you're backslid and you need to front slap. But there's too many backslid Christians sitting in church that don't love him with all their heart. And all their mind. And all their soul. And all their strength. When you love like that, you delight yourself in the Lord. And when you delight yourself in the Lord, guess what? The Bible said he'll give you the desire of your heart. Why? Because when you love Him with all your heart, His will is what you want more than your way. Can you say amen? And when you pray, if you ask anything according to His will, He heareth us. And if we know He hears us, we know we have the petition. Not waiting to see. We know it when we pray. And are the called according to His purpose. We're ready to fully cooperate with His process of working within us, bringing forth the fruit of the Spirit, which is the replication of the character of Jesus in you and me. Now, someone here may think, and I'm going to try not to look at anybody, but someone here today, came up to me after service when God really began to bear down on forgiveness. 
And they were so honest and sincere. And when I see that, I say, boy, God's going to do something here in that person's life. Because they were so honest, they said, I'm having trouble forgiving. See, it may not apply to you, but it probably does. But there's someone in the audience that needs what God is bringing on Sunday morning. Why did you preach that again last Sunday? Because God is trying to help that person to overcome that area, to open the door for His blessings in that life. Amen. So this thing that gets a hold of our old flesh and helps us put the nails in it, that's God helping us to not let the flesh continue to have influence and rule over our own reborn spirit who wants to please Him. Can you say amen? By the way, nobody's going to pray. Amen. Like that. Nobody's going to open up and be that honest unless the Holy Spirit is really able to work within their life. But you know something? The pastor led the way. I was the first one to tell you about my personal need to dig deeper. Because let me tell you about the flesh. It will play possum. Your flesh will play possum until something stimulates it. And then you'll find out just how much control it has. It will feign love that doesn't exist. It will put on Christianity that is really not devoted. My son has caught a possum twice in our backyard. My my son. Well, you'll have to pardon me, but I've been around so many crazy people. And my dog is such a good dog. Brother Taylor, I'm beginning to tell him, I saw it on a British vet, so there was a British BBC veterinarian, and there was a guy on there with one of those English, not English bulldog, but one of the long nose. What is he up? No, no, it's a British terrier. Yeah, some kind of bull terrier. He's got that long pointed face. And, and, and this guy looked like about 60 years old and he's getting his bull terrier. Don't even know what his name was. He never called him by name. But he walked out the door with his bull terrier and here they go. You know, the old guy and his bull terrier. Here they go for their walk. And bull terrier just a little bit slower than he was. He says, come on, son. Come on, son. Well, ever since then, I've been calling my dog son. So, so anyway, his name is Buddy, but I said, come on, son, let's go. My dog, Buddy, has caught a possum twice in our backyard. When we let him out the back porch, he doesn't look to see if there's anything. He goes into a full run because he knows if there's anything out there, before he even knows that I'm coming, I'm going to be on him. And I told him at the vet's office the other day, I said, <laughs> because we were in there and there's a, a, a cat they took in and it's become a mascot at our veterinarian. And, and, and the cat looked around the corner and my dog saw it. Because when my dog was a puppy, a, a feral cat had kittens underneath our utility shed. And he smelled them, stuck his nose under there. Mama was under there. 
And mama give him one of yes with those claws and bloody. There was blood. When they put those claws out and swat, it brought the blood on his nose as a pup. And ever since then, he's had this cat thing. <laughs> and he... <laughs> So this this old cat looked around in there to see who was in that room. And I had him on that leash. And he looked back. And I could see the hackles back here turning up. And I knew he's ready to go after him. But he couldn't because I had him on the leash. <laughs> and the veterinarian's assistant come in. <laughs> I said, I said, my dog loves said he loves cats. She looked at me wide-eyed. I said, but he said he didn't think he could eat a whole one. And my wife says, don't pay no attention to him. He's just. But the last time we went in, that same assistant says, you know, there was somebody in here with a big old dog the other day. And I told them, I said, I, I, I said, I bet he said he likes cats, but he could. Bet he, bet he said he could, didn't think he could eat a whole one. And I thought I'm rubbing off on her. But at least I wasn't a grim, grumbly look like the world, carrying my burden as if there's no God to trust with it, letting it get me down and make me as impatient and as grim as everybody else out there in the public. No peace in me, no peace in them. No joy in me, no joy in them. At least I represent a kingdom where there is joy, a kingdom where there is peace. Amen. At least I had a merry heart, and I was taking my medicine. And I'm going to tell you something, that stress that you're under from carrying that burden, you know what it's doing to your immune system? Scientifically and medically, it is weakening your immune system. Your body was not designed for stress because God made you in a world where there was no tribulation. God made this body for a world where there was no death and there was no dying and there's no disease and there's no heartache and there's no heartbreak. But we're in a different world. So we have to begin to get help from above. We can't expect the world to, to become this beautiful paradise. It will never be that. But there is peace available. There is joy available. There is hope available for you and me today. I used to go to the sponge docks as we close over in Tarpon Springs. The old stuff before the scuba thing. And, and look, stand it all in this big suit you put on with the weighted feet and this big diving bell that you put on. And what they did, it wasn't oxygen. There was no oxygen going in from some, like a scuba tank. They were pumping outside air from the atmosphere above down into that man under the sea because he is out of his element. And he is going to suffocate if he doesn't get the atmosphere from above piped into him down there. You know what God wants to do? You're out of your element. I'm out of my element. My body was not designed for this stressful world. My mind, my emotions were not designed for this. Amen. I am I'm an alien in this world. 
as a born-again Christian, I still have the emotions of that old man, the body of that old man, but my, my spirit man is a new man. Hallelujah. And without God's peace, you will have no peace. Without the joy of the Lord, you will have no joy. Amen. It has to come from above. My peace I give you. Not as the world give. Kit, quit praying for everything to smooth out and get a hold of a peace that says, even if the storm blows on, I've got you. I'm holding you. I will not let you go. You are not alone. Hallelujah. Everybody wants to wake up Jesus. Don't you care that we perish? What is wrong with you? This thing's about to sink. We're all going to die. Where's your faith? Did he ask them to go speak to the storm in their great faith and strength and power? No. Who spoke to the storm? He did. Then why, what was the faith issue there? The faith issue is what it is with us. Don't you care? Storm comes. The devil says, if God loved you, he wouldn't let this happen. God loves you. And he knows exactly what's happened. And Paul said, I've got it so deep inside of me. There's nothing present, nothing coming. No angel, no devil, no principality, nothing within, nothing without. They'll ever separate me from the love of God that's in Jesus Christ. No devil, you can't tell me that lie. But we've known and believed. Come on, we've known and believed the love that God has for us. For God is love. That storm don't mean that God don't love you. Amen. It don't, he said, I'll never leave you. Amen. So if he doesn't immediately speak to the storm and say, peace be still, he's going to immediately speak to the storm that the storm without created within you. And he's going to say to your spirit, your heart, peace, be still. How do you really find out that God is in control? Be still and know that I am God. But you've got to be still. At the Red Sea, i got to close. This is the fourth closing. Just think if I wasn't closing. Amen. At least you know it's somewhere out there. Standing at the Red Sea, Pharaoh's army is coming. And the people are looking at Moses. And they're saying... What shall we do? And they're saying, it would have been better to die in Egypt and be slaughtered out here. And you know what? God told him to tell them, hold, tell the people, hold their peace. The beginning of demonstrating true trust in God is to quit fretting and talking about what's bothering God said, I'm not going to do anything while they're murmuring. I'm not going to do anything while they're complaining. I'm not going to do anything while they are accusing me of unfaithfulness. Tell them to hold their peace. Shut up. 
If you want to see me move, quit talking defeat. Quit talking fear. Quit talking doubt. Quit talking unbelief. Quit looking at your circumstances instead of your God. Quit limiting me. Quit belittling me. Quit minimizing me. Quit limiting me with your mouth. So he told them, hold your peace. People don't like to be told to hush up. When they've got every excuse in the world for the condition they're in. Well, the devil told me this. The devil told me that. I remember the preacher that said a man came up to him. He, he's always talking about what the devil told. He said, I know it's just the devil. I know it's just the devil talking to me. But he told me I was lost. He said, did you get saved? Yeah, did you really get saved? Yes, I did. Have you, did you? Oh, he went through the whole thing again. God kept coming. He got tired of it. And he said, he said, because he knew he wasn't taking God at his word anymore. He just, you know, how some people are. Came to him. He said, I know it's just the devil, Pastor, but the devil told me God didn't love me. Have you got a word for me? I need a word. He said, I sure do. Know what the word is? You know what the word is? Quit listening to the devil. If you know it's the devil, tell him to shut up. Resist him. And resist the devil. But it starts with submitting to God. And part of submitting to God is this thing. It's set on fire of hell. It cannot be tamed. So if you think you're going to go out here and say, you know something, I'm going to be positive all week. Yeah, you without God and without the Holy Spirit, no, uh, you, listen, you need a lion tamer. Because you can't tame that lion. He don't care nothing about you and your little whip. And your chair. Oh, yeah, the chair is going to help a lot. If a hungry lion wants to eat you, he'll knock the chair out of your hand and eat you. He'll use the pieces of the chair for a toothpick after he eats you. Can you say amen? Amen. Amen. It's set on fire of hell. That's serious stuff, isn't it? You let it loose, it's going to tear something down. It's going to burn something up. And he that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city without gates, a, a city without walls. That means the devil can come in any time he wants and take anything that he wants to take. So we need to get some self-control by letting God control. What was the evidence of the Holy Ghost? The first evidence of the Holy Ghost. What is the first part that shows that he has now taken control and we are whelmed, God whelmed, baptized in the Holy Ghost? What's the first thing that gave witness that he, what did he start controlling before anything else in the life? The tongue. They begin to speak with new and other tongues. Well, he just don't want you to say, come tie my bow tie and call yourself grown and spiritual. Get the Holy Ghost talking tongue. What He wants you to do, amen, is begin to speak what you know to be true instead of what you feel and what you see and what others say. And He wants you to know that your words, your tongue is like a rudder on a ship, Paul said. 
So if the life is going to get right, it's going to begin here. It's going to begin here. It's got to start here. If that's the rudder, then where you are headed is being directed. Or it's not a rudder. Oh, ships are turned with one little member. If you want your life to turn around, commit your way into the Lord. Trust also in Him. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Because your desire will be to please Him, to serve Him, and to follow Him. And everything in the way of that that you pray, and that purpose to become more like His Son, He's going to give you all the resources of heaven. And that's why Paul said, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Since you can't tame your tongue, you have to surrender and submit to God and pray that the Holy Spirit will take control. But you have control, and you need Him to take control. Listen, let. You want, you want something to help nail the flesh to the cross so you can follow Jesus? You want to put another nail in there? Let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth, but only that that is good for the edifying of the body. The old saying is true, isn't it? If you can't say something good. What? Don't say nothing at all? How's that going to work? Are we going to explode? Sometimes you've got to vent. Well, you know, I'm glad you asked that question. God said, pour your heart out before Him. David used to come before God and say, How long? Break their teeth, oh God. You know, he poured it out. And God listened. But He didn't accuse God. And He didn't give place to the devil. And He didn't glorify the devil. He went to God with and vented to God. When my soul is overwhelmed within me, oh Lord, lead me to that rock that is higher than I. For the Lord has always been a refuge for me and a hiding place from my enemies. Can you say, man? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Woo! There's victory in Jesus today. But there's no victory any other way. Forsake not the assembling of yourself together is the manner used to be some, now many, headed for most. Don't know how many people tell me, I watch so-and-so on television. What's that got to do with body, the body of Christ? You're going to bear your brother's burden when you don't even care if he is burdened. You don't even know what he's going through. How are you going to fulfill the Scripture to exhort one another when you're not there? And what you're going to do when you need it and that face on television is not there. Because I'm going to let you in on he's, it's not. I'm not putting that person on TV down. I'm telling you, he's not coming. He can't come. He's not going to fly from Phoenix 
God's not going to fly from Chicago. He's not going to come down and sit down with you and try to lift you up. Amen? So this idea of, I can get just as much. It's not about getting, it's about giving. Children only want to get. They don't want to get. They don't want to give their parents respect. They don't want to give their parents anything. What'd you get your mama for Christmas? You know, remember the little girl? She's on her way to Sunday school. Her daddy gave her no. It was a little boy. Just get off the women. We're outnumbered here today. So listen. Little Johnny has been given two nickels. You can tell this was a long time ago. He's given two nickels. One is for Sunday school and to make sure that Johnny wasn't tempted to not give and learn the principle of being generous. He said, one, oh, by the way, we are going to receive an offering in just a minute, so listen closely to this illustration. Thank you, Lord, for leading a segue into the offering. Give Johnny two nickels. One is to put in the Sunday school offering this morning, and the other is to get you some candy after church. Little John is looking at those two nickels. One is for him and one is for God. And while looking at them and shuffling them, one of them dropped, hit the ground, hit the concrete, and it rolled straight into a storm drain. And Johnny said, Oh, no! There goes the Lord's nickel. And as funny as that story is, the Lord's nickel is always the one. And we're to honor Him with the first fruits because anything less, it will not bring honor to Him. By my Father, where's my honor? Last day, did you get anything out of this service today? James McDonald on Moody Radio said 70%. His estimation, and he rubbed shoulder with some of the biggest ministries, conferences. He said 70% of the churches on Sunday morning are not bringing the gospel as it's written to their congregation. They are telling them how to be better this and better that and get more of this and get more of that. In other words, be totally fulfill all of your dreams and ambitions and nothing about denying yourself and taking up your cross and following Jesus. That's not the message that is filling churches anymore. And the Holy Spirit is being left behind and He's the only one that can come not just alongside us, but come inside us and be alongside us because He's living inside us. He's not on the outside helping you up when you fall down. He's on the inside keeping you up from falling down. We've got a message of grace that allows us to keep failing, indicating there's no real victory in Jesus. It's a lie. There is victory in Jesus. Thank God for the God who will pick you up if you fall. But thank God 
now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and present you faultless on that day. Everybody say there is victory in Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 We're going to receive the offering at this time. Thank you for coming this morning.